Is it rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Kerry Shale. But he's our special guest, playwright David Gregg. Oh, the streets of Rome are filled with rubble. Ancient footprints everywhere. You can almost think that you're seeing double on a cold, dark night on the Spanish stairs. Got to hurry back to my hotel room, where I got me a date with a pretty little girl from Greece. She promised she'd be there with me when I paint my masterpiece. Oh, the hours we'd spend inside the Colosseum, dodging lions and wasting time. Oh, those mighty kings of the jungle, I could hardly stand to see them. Yes, it sure has been a long, hard climb. Train wheels are running through the back of my memory. When I ran on the hilltop, following a pack of wild geese. Someday, everything's going to sound like a rhapsody when I paint my masterpiece. God, it's, it is so moving now. <laughs> it's a lovely uh, one, isn't it? Um, tell us why you chose that, David. Um, well, there was a multitude of ones I could have chosen, but that one has a memory for me. I, I go on little sort of camping trips and so on with my son, who's now in his uh, late teens. But uh, when he was younger, you know, we would just sort of... Um, got, you've got these evenings in, in the tent, you've got to sort of idle away time and reading books and stuff. And he liked music and we used to play... Uh, the band's version of that song came up and he really liked it. It was the first song that I really liked, that he really liked. And mm. But it was odd because the bit that he likes is the bit I didn't read, which is the next line where he says, going around the world in a dirty gondola... Uh, back to the land of Coca-Cola. And um, that thing about, um, for some reason, that line really tickled uh, uh, my son. And so it's always stuck with me. It's quite a happy uh, a happy sort of Dylan song. I, I love I, that line, yeah. It's also, I think there's something that connects to me about, it's very him. I mean, in the sense, you have this sense that it's about him going on, I always imagine it's about him going on tour in the 1960s. Mm. I don't know if it's even the first time he's been abroad. Um and he's kind of almost documenting this trip, this crazy mm. trip where, um, you know, journalists are assailing him and he's going to all these places. And you can imagine this this sense of a young artist, but that brilliance of, like, when I paint my... So it's the two things of, like, he, he's anticipating he still has masterpieces to come, mm. but also he didn't write, when I write my masterpiece. <laughs> yes. He says, when I paint my masterpiece. Yeah. I don't know why, I don't know why that's so brilliant but it's it's yeah, yeah. It's somehow i think he did. i've just finished reading the Susie rotolo um book mm-hmm. uh, and of course she went off to italy and that was very bad for their relationship and uh, then she came back and bob went to italy and they crossed they missed each right. other and so that was the first time bob went to italy but yeah. I, i've read a lot about well, his- the next bit is all about he goes to brussels and he describes what seems like a press conference and i'm sure even I'm, i might be smashing memories together but i'm sure i've seen like footage where he's he's sort of rude to journalists and mm. oh, it yeah. feels like that's the sort of event that's being described. Well, a lot yeah. of people have said that it carries a sort of taste of the 66 tour, except the 66 tour didn't go to Brussels, and, yeah. you know, it well, <laughs> didn't go to yeah. Rome, but, but it's got that kind of vibe, that, you know, plane rides so bumpy that I almost cried and all, yes. all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, and I also love the stupid, I mean, you know, part of it is I, I secretly love Bob Dylan's bad rhymes in a way more than I like the the truly good ones there's something and so there's something about the Colosseum and those lions I could hardly stand to see them yeah. <laughs> it's just really it's really Brussels sweet and muscles, Brussels yeah. and muscles Brussels and muscles well I'm with you my favourite line in all of Bob Dylan's work is um I want to be your lover, baby. I want to be your man. I don't want to be hers. I want to be yours. 
That's very good. I yeah. um, in um, the one that always stood out for me is in a song I really love, Sarah, uh, and he says uh, the, the beach it was empty except for some kelp. Which really, I've always thought, and you know, I mean, as soon as you hear it, you go, well, come on, that's got to rhyme with help. And it takes a couple of lines before you get there. But there's something, I mean, it's such a moving song and Mm. it's so glorious. And actually, in an odd way, that line has stayed with me probably much, the image of that line has stayed with me more because it's so Mm. sort of slightly jarring. Mm. Uh, but you know that it's yeah. Anyway, and he does. He will do that. That you you have these glorious oddnesses, um, which stick out more than in a in a way what might seem technically correct. You yeah, know, that, I agree. Yeah. So um, I think you said before we came in that Desire is one of your yeah, favorite yeah. albums. When did you discover that, and and why is it one well, of your favorites? Well, well, you know, I I grew up in the nineteen eighties. I was a big music fan, and I liked I liked everything. And like you're a kid, you know. I, um, in fact, I was thinking the other day, I remember a book that I had called uh, 25 Years of Rock, and it really makes me laugh now, because <laughs> at the time, that seemed like an infinity. You know, yeah. it was sort of, I was looking at this ancient history book, and now <laughs> 25 Years of Rock, I mean, there's been nearly 25 years of the 21st century. So, so I kind of was very hungry to learn about music, uh, but Dylan, for me, at that point, was the absolutely 60s album, Mr. Tambourine Man, protest singer. That, that was pretty much what I understood. Um, and I actually went off into the Velvet Underground and all of that kind of stuff. So, so really, I only, I only really got into Bob Dylan later. And I, li- I liked it. I liked things like Blonde on Blonde and so on. I liked all of that stuff. But the moment I had a kind of cracking open was, strangely enough, in um, I was traveling in South Africa uh, in, in visiting my, my brother who worked um in uh in there in the 1990s he he was working in the remote part of of Lesotho and there was this very strange place that my uh, wife and I went to um a kind of uh some or not not a hotel but like a, a kind of camp almost a kind of you know uh, with huts and so on and um one night that they had so I don't know if you're allowed to say this on your podcast, they had the most extraordinarily strong dope. And I ended up You're okay, you're the long, the short and tall was I don't I'm not used to that and it really just like knocked me what out. But they were playing Desire and mm. I just had this thing where for about what felt like four hours yeah. <laughs> I was really experiencing all of it. And of course it was this very incongruous environment because it was a very privileged environment. Um we were guests, you know, in this place, but it but it was sort of recreating an African village almost. Mm. And the the mixture of the complete incongruity, the song Mozambique yes. is on that, there's yeah. a few things. And it all sort of smashed together and I and it was just an incredibly intense experience. And um but from that, I've always had a close uh, relationship with that album. But that mm. then opened me up to, I was like, right, that's it. I'm going, you know, I'm going in. And, and from that point onwards, I sort of... Uh, and maybe some time. Maybe yeah. some time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm, Desire was one of my first ones. I, was, I think it was Nashville Skyline, Pat Garrett, been oh. a kid, and then Desire. I think because I'd just seen The Last Waltz and I wanted whatever Bob Dylan album that period was. Yeah. And I read yeah, The Desire was 76-ish. Right. Yeah. So I, thought, I love well, all of those. So perhaps we share, yeah, mm. uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid... Um, is is another one that I really like that a lot of people don't particularly notice, mm. um, and and of course what's lovely about that I was listening to it again the other day is the instrumental work where you're sort of thinking, 
God, he he is really behaving like a film composer. I mean, he's been asked to do oh, a job yeah. and mm. he's responding. He's writing a song that in some ways tells the story of the film. And again, I'm so used to him as an artist who just does exactly what he wants and mm. isn't. He's he you know he, he doesn't do a job for you, so I was quite interested in how Pat Garrett and Billy get kind of responds to that. But um, but yeah, he's there's something in that period as well in Nashville Skyline. I mean, mm. I the other thing I was reflecting on uh, preparing for this was that um, he does country music, doesn't he? He goes right, I'm going to do country music, mm. and he's done folk music, and then he sort of does gospel music. Mm-hmm. And then he starts, I was realising he then does sort of crooners and 19 mm-hmm. sort of 50s music. It's like he, he's just determined <laughs> he's, going to, he's going to absorb every strand of American popular culture yeah. and, and kind of somehow make it his own. And, and so each turn seems odd to the people following him. But, yeah. you know, if you look at it in those terms, it's... Well, he does that with writers too, doesn't he? I mean, he's, yeah. he steals from the most, mm. the best and, and also the most obscure. And, yeah. you know, he's, he covers the waterfront, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, that I've lately been doing a lot of listening to the, um, uh, really prompted by your podcast, but I started going back to the raid theme time radio hour and discovered that they're all online and you, mm. you've got sort of a hundred mm. odd. Mm. And, um, that slightly blew my mind because I remembered them. And again, I remember thinking, what's he doing now? Why is he doing this? You know? <laughs> and if you think back as well, that feeling of, oh, right, Bob Dylan's doing a radio show. Well, obviously what he's going to do is play his favourite songs. And that will be these very obscure, you know, um, you know, I don't know, blues tracks or something. And no, he doesn't. He does theme time radio hour. Yeah. And the first episode is about drink or mothers or something, and then it's coffee. And and I remember at the time thinking, that what are you doing? And then, of course, you listen to it now, and you realise that there's that sense that this panoply of... Uh, he's using popular song, uh, and primarily is popular song, isn't it, mm-hmm. in those things. Mm. That's where his fishing grounds are. It's like the, it's like it's the Bible and cheap... Uh, R&B from 1955 mm-hmm. and silly jazz novelty songs and and then Rambo or something. Mm. He sort of smashes it all together. Um, and then out of that, you get uh, uh, the sort of his own poetry. It's um, almost as if when he talks about a musician or a song that sort of impacts on his own career, like the band or Van Morrison or something, you, you feel the sense of two yeah. worlds colliding. Like he can't be in the room bit... talking about this because he's he can't be yeah. in two places at once. Kind of yeah, thing. there is a thing that um, um, my my friend, the novelist and poet Andrew Gregg, uh, is a big Dylan fan and was sort of around and about the folk scene in the 60s. It was big pals with the incredible string band. And uh, apparently there's this enormous... Thing. You know, it's like it's written about in the annals of Scottish music history, which is when Bob Dylan said that Robin Williamson's song was quite good. <laughs> and this was like, like apparently Bob Dylan didn't say that about much or about mm. living people, you know. Mm. So can't remember which the song was, but uh, it's quite good. And this, you know, this is enormous. Um, but then you listen to the radio hour and of course he'll he'll say in that, and this is a different time, but he'll he'll talk about as I say, some obscure country novelty singer and and 
speak about it with reverence. Mm. But if he talks about someone who's actually alive or someone who's a singer-songwriter, you know, a bit close, you do feel, oh, you know, it's not quite, you're right. It's not, it doesn't feel right for no. him to be too but, but excited by all of yes, this. Yes, he does. Uh, he's, there's, well, there's somebody who I love who has been played a couple of times on Theme Time Radio, who's Jonathan Richmond, who is oh, yes. so, but he's yeah. basically you either love him or you don't. Or yeah. you, you know, I you, very much love him. I, I yes. love him too. Yeah. But, uh, the, but Bob doesn't try to be cool, does he? And no. that's the thing I love about mm. Theme Time Radio Hour is because yeah. he'll put some obscure, or rather he'll do Muddy Waters yeah. next to Jonathan Richmond. Yes, absolutely. And he's not yeah. trying to be, you know, how yeah. uncool. Well, I think what I what I was thinking about is is and I had a real sort of epiphany because I'm I'm very interested in Dylan as an artist, i.e., what Dylan's lessons are for one as an artist, and because mm. I think they're enormous. Um, and one of them is, I spent so long trying to decode Bob Dylan and uh, trying to get you know, from the apparent mystery of the songs to what the truth must be. And it was only listening to the radio that I fully had that moment of going, oh, you idiot. That's completely the wrong approach to all of this. This this man has gone to the trouble of creating fragments and stories that produce meaning. They endlessly offer you new meanings every time you look at them. Mm. Why on earth would you want to go, you know, oh, well, really, it's about that moment when he... Uh, did this or did mm. that or encountered this or or that there's some secret meaning and and the reason I got that from the radio is you you would listen to uh, so he does the theme time on drinking or whatever and you get a country song that if I had heard it out of context would have just thought well that's hokey what a mm. you know something about a, a lonely kid whose stepdad is drinking too <clears> much but then when you hear it within his context suddenly the folk poetry of it. Mm. Um, just is so clear and you realize that he would have picked a little phrase from that would have tickled him and stuck in his memory and that would end up you know being the the part of a song at some point um and he will smash that together with some bit from Kerouac or whoever it might be Mm. or you know someone more um high culture and I think that's something Mm. which I think is incredibly American actually Mm. isn't it Mm. I mean that's the the thing that he's really somehow managing to distill. Yeah, yeah. Just being, every once in a while, something makes me think about being Bob Dylan. <laughs> and one of the things was you mentioned that you'd played Hard Rain over and yes. over again in the album yeah. uh, when you were writing The Back High. Yeah. And so I, I actually went back to that, which was an album I never particularly got, not at all, actually, until just this week when I right. listened to it a number of times. And one of the things that really struck me, aside from the fact that some of the arrangements are just fabulous, the, yeah. from the arrangements of the Blood on the Track songs, yes. they're heartbreaking. But also the thing about being Bob Dylan, like I, I was listening to uh, You're a Big Girl Now, yeah. which is just the most heartbreaking song. And people in the background are whooping. And I, that is the yeah. thing that, because you can hear them really loud, you know, when he goes, you're a big girl now, and everybody goes, yeah! And you think, <laughs> what? The man's heart is breaking. And he's, yeah. it's, he's giving it to you. This tale of yeah. misery and, and trying to be brave when, when you want to die, you know, and everybody's going, you go, yeah, man! Yes. I, maybe they're trying to be, you know, they're saying, yeah, you go, girl. Or, but I don't I know think what it is. I think, I, no, I don't think they are. I mean, I think No, it's, I think I they're think, just, oh, we're so glad we're here and you're Bob Dylan. Whooping That's all is they're usually saying. about the audience member far more than the, yeah. uh, the performer. I mean, David yeah. Hepworth writes a lot about this, about whooping. And he says, when, 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 does, when did whooping start? And I remember, but whooping <clears> during <throat> heartbreak songs. Yeah. Well, there's nuts? someone, the, again, this is David Hepworth. I remember he reviewed uh, Neil Young Unplugged in Q when it came out. 
and I, I remember this to this day, over 25 years later, he says, the one thing wrong with this album is there's one man in the audience who feels it's somehow appropriate to whoop his approval during the needle and the damage oh, done. Such is the strength of this set that his shame will pursue him down the years to come. And I would never have forgotten that. Yes. You say, what are you doing? You've never whooped since. Not uh, well, it, it just, uh, the whoop is always about kind of, hey, it's me. Yeah, Woo! Yeah, I'm on an yeah, album. Fuck yeah, off. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just, it does my head in. It's it sort of, I mean, uh, when the only, I've only seen Dylan Love once and it was uh, in a vast stadium barn in the SECC in Glasgow and it was perfectly satisfactory I enjoyed it very much but part of me did think at the time you know, I'm really only here for the being here, if you know what I mean. I'm not, mm-hmm. and but also I just think I kept thinking of funny things it would be, and I kept thinking calling out requests would be a really, <laughs> would be really funny. But oddly <laughs> enough, and this is again my, my taste is to the slightly softer side. I think I, I probably would at that point I was very moved by um, Forever Young because I think yeah. I had my kids uh, were maybe quite young at that time and. I was there as the guest of a friend of mine's mother who'd also been around in the 60s and uh, was very, you know, she, uh, so there was a lot of that that memory going on. And, uh, you know, I was sort of thinking how I, I think I thought that that's a very uncool song and that he, he would never play it. Um, and then he played it, a really rather beautiful version yeah. of it. Uh, so that would have been my request. So I, I'd yeah. like to think maybe it was sort of telepathically transmitted. But I think that with Hard Rain, mm. that, that was this really... So I was asked to adapt the back end. I had to do it very quickly. And I became obsessed with the idea of Dionysus. And Dionysus is obviously the central, uh, you know, the, the, the central character of the Bacchae, but Dionysus is also the god. He's the god of theatre and the god of wine, the god of trance, the god of music and so much stuff. And Dionysus is also a very shamanic sort of figure. And um, uh, in our version, we, we, uh, it was directed by John Tiffany and there was going to be a, a sort of gospel tinge to the the idea was the choruses were going to be like gospel songs mm. these hymns uh dionysian hymns that the bacchae would sing so i was trying to sort of get into it and i i tried to think who is dionysus who is the shaman and i thought well it's bob dylan i happen to have this album hard rain and and so i slapped it on and there's an energy in that performance that is extraordinary and it feels like he's channeling something and mm. he's and and if the, uh, so, so that I just thought right, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play that over and over again. I'm not going to listen to anything else. I'll just every time I write, I'll sit down mm. and I'll drink three glasses of red wine <laughs> and I'll play that just like he did. Uh, and, 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 it, and, it, and it sort of worked. But but the the um, the, the the thing with Hard Rain uh, is that the other book I had as a young lad uh, because I was very nerdy about music was um, the Rolling Stone Record Guide. I don't know if either of you have. Oh yeah, I've got it. Yeah, yeah, you? yeah, giant. I I went through the entire thing. Just yes, you know, to yeah, all yeah. these people that I'd kind of heard of, and then I ended up listening to Steve Earle, for instance. Yeah, I thought, oh, he sounds well. Interesting. Back in back in sort of wherever it was, eighty thing. The first volume was the one that I got, and it was red. And 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 the thing is, they give five stars. Yeah, I think that might have been the first time I sort of encountered stars in reviewing you know mm. but anyway they would give five stars to certain albums or whatever and I that was my guide to the world at that point and of course you're forgetting this is only the early 80s so so the Dylan thing I absolutely remember how many stars every album got and I was mm. like well that's gospel mm. right fine and Hard Rain I remember got three and I yeah and I was <laughs> well I'm not bothering with that not bothering with Hard Rain it's obviously nonsense yeah. and of course that was the way presumably it was perceived at that point yeah and I got um, even worse reviews yeah, when it came out yeah. well we were saying this on the way here and I, th- I think some, correct me on this somebody is listening if I'm wrong but I think it was the first Bob Dylan live album 
right. not counting bits of self-portrait yeah. and Before the Flood, which was the yeah. band as well. I think in 1976, when yeah. Hard Rain came yeah. out, that was the first Bob Dylan live album. And presumably, when the critics reviewed it, they were thinking, why has he released this yeah. instead of some of the other stuff? Yes. So that was probably yeah. informing their reviews. I'm not, I could yeah. be wrong. And also, it's, well, I remember when I got it when it came out because I was getting old Bob Dylan albums. And the version of Maggie's Farm, which opens it, is probably mm. the, the worst, the only kind of somewhat almost pedestrian. He's like yeah. warming up or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then it gets better and better and better and better. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really great to, to listen to it because I thought, yeah. oh, this is a great it lost is, album. I think it is. I think it's extraordinary. And, and of course, it just made me smile again about that thing of how, you, how we are almost certainly getting him wrong now. Mm. I'm convinced that at some point the Christmas album is going to be... <laughs> People go, oh, God, I can see what he was doing. And, and we, we will look like the most pedestrian fools as a result. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. Uh, but but, but um, there's something about that shamanic thing that is is really obsessive. Uh, so, so that thing that – and I was looking for the quote today, and so I don't even know if it is a quote or if it's something that I just heard. I, but I seem to remember Martin Scorsese in the documentary uh, uh, that was on BBC4, and he says um, – Dylan's quote is, an artist should always be in the state of becoming. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, he says that yeah. in No Direction Home, yeah. 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 No Direction Home. Um, and I think that's an extraordinary thought. Mm. I mean, I think that's really... Because what it does is it gives you permission to get it wrong. Because the point is, if you're becoming, you're yeah. stumbling and you're, you're, um, you're emergent and you're uh, uh, failing. And, um, and, and I think there's something about this sense where he, he is always somehow in his own present moment in a way that other artists and even the greatest of them find extraordinarily hard. Mm. Um, and it's something about that, that, that which I think is the, is the lesson. The other thing I was reflecting on is I'm interested in artists ageing um, who becomes more interesting as they get older mm. and so on. And there's something, you know, it's so easy, if, particularly if you have success as an artist, to shut down as you age because what value is there? You've got nothing to gain by by being vulnerable again, and everything to lose, and people will mock you, and you'll, you know, that's what mm, will happen. Yeah. And so they don't do it. Mm. By and large, they get safer and safer and tread old ground. But he really doesn't do that. I mean, whatever it is, that lack of uh, inhibition somehow, or or care about mockery, or whatever it is, mm. he just he just does it. This also in my mind, feeds into something that you said. You were talking about your play Europe, I think, yeah. about its, its, its renewed relevance, shall we say, in, in 2020. And it, it says here, um, some commentators argue that we need more major stage plays confronting Brexit head on. And you said that it's just a wrong way of thinking about what a play is. You said, if a play seems to catch the moment, it won't be because somebody has sat down to catch the moment. It will be because they were trying to do something else. And that just jumped out at me because I thought yeah. that's entirely what you were sort of saying about Bob Dylan and, and what I've always believed about art in general, that you yeah. don't ever sit down and say, I'm going to do something relevant now. Yes, no, I'm going to capture the zeitgeist. You yes. know, just do your own thing and yeah, you'll I be mean, king. And, yeah. and, and history will judge you accordingly. Well, you know? well, also, you know, if you know, if I had a message, I'd send it in the post. I mean, if you know what you're trying to say, well, just say it. I yeah. mean, why, why are you wasting time making a play is one thing. But yeah. also, during the Scottish independence referendum, I remember um, uh, there was a lot of things about why is nobody writing plays about the Scottish independence referendum? And, and I wanted to say, well, because we all wrote them five years ago and we will write them in five years' time. But yeah. now yeah. is absolutely... You know, we didn't know, you never know that what you're channeling mm. um, 
and nor should you, I guess. I mean, and as, as you say, it's sort mm. of dangerous if you don't. But I think, I think that Dylan takes that even further. I think that's what surprises me is that somehow, you, as you've said, the reflection. Probably no artist that I can think of does one reflect on what it must be like to be in that head, and yet at the same time, how little I know of the biography of the. Um, you know, I mean, I know there is stuff and you can find it and there's all kinds of writing, but somehow that isn't part of our um, uh, understanding of, of, of Dylan as an artist. Somehow he has managed, bizarrely, mm. to keep the biography largely out of the mm. um, of the way that we take the songs. I don't, mm. I don't quite know how. I mean, it may just be personal, but, you know, it's... It's the least interesting thing about him, I think. About, yeah. I mean, you know, occasionally a biography will come out and it'll uncover a, a previously unknown wife yeah. or something and this is it's titillating and it's kind of interesting but it's not what the work yeah. is about it's I mean, not but what... I, I could tell you pretty much all of the Beatles you know I, I, I kind yeah. of know their parents names pretty much or, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I can tell you what kind of house they grew up in yeah. I know Bob Dylan grew up in uh, I don't even know which state you know the, the, the one of the M's in the mm, middle in the north yeah. but but I don't know what you know I can't, do you know what I mean and, mm. and it's odd isn't it that 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 somehow Someone that we could be so obsessed with might actually somehow manage to keep that that out of it. I suppose because the work keeps us guessing as well. We haven't run out of things to uncover about the work yeah. yet. So that maybe when we do, which we won't, we can yeah. move on to the minutiae of his of his personal yeah. life. Yeah. And uh, so did you did you discover Bob Dylan while you were living in Africa? And did that impact you at all? Oh, or? I see. N- no, I grew up. I was uh, b- brought up in Nigeria in the nineteen seventies, which was a rather idyllic time. I mean, if there is a connection to Mozambique, it's that the song Mozambique that is that that was around the time Bob Dylan was there. It was a very optimistic time. You could, I could imagine you writing a song at that time about where the, you know, about the beautiful beaches and everybody being very happy and jolly, you know, and, and, and Mozambique at that point newly liberated from Portuguese colonialism and Nigeria at the time, a new independent country uh, from British rule. Um, it was a very optimistic time, I remember. Sunshine, I remember just yeah just almost a uh, uh, kind of um idyllic paradisical uh my dad worked in construction and was building the uh the the roads the parliaments the infrastructure of a new country at that time but no the the music then was all uh it was um Fela Kuti and mm-hmm. a and also my parents were really into Chris Christopherson so i just remember uh, uh if if there was a podcast if anyone ever does a podcast about Chris Christopherson, I, I, maybe I should do a podcast about Chris Christopherson <laughs> because he's probably the only uh, other artist I would give that amount of attention to. But, but no, Dylan came, Dylan came to Dylan was about folk for me because I was always interested in folk music. And when I went back to Scotland, a the folk scene, the folk, you know, Edinburgh was at the centre of the folk revival. I would argue that it was Edinburgh actually that invented. Bob Dylan couldn't exist except for Edinburgh. This is my argument. I'll stick to it. The first of the folk clubs was in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. This uh, the, was set up in Edinburgh. The second was mm. set up in Glasgow, and the third was Greenwich Village, New York, in the in the folk revival chain. Wow. Mm. And the Greenwich Village club, many of the artists who Dylan liked, like the, the Clancy Brothers, and um, uh, you know, there was a real movement of uh, uh, songs and artists around sort of Glasgow, Edinburgh, London, yeah. New York folk scene. Um, Martin Carthy, who did 
the Scarborough Fair that influences mm-hmm. Dylan, mm-hmm. and um, and all of that is all flowing in and out. And so I don't know at which point Dylan arrives in the stream, but he then gets he definitely then gets exposed to some of those channels. Uh, so so if you add, and out of that also comes things like the Incredible String Band and and all all the stuff of the counterculture sort of emerges or men, much of it emerges from those folk clubs and mm. and and they 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 begin in edinburgh so that would be my argument about why dylan starts in edinburgh but he it, it was through that folk connection um um and folk clubs that i i start listening to the sort of mm. early albums and and actually like a proper newport revivalist thinking that that is the only dylan mm. that we should be interested in mm. everything else is rubbish you know and what do you we were talking earlier about highlands so we might as well as this is sort of our scottish episode yeah, uh, yeah. where do you uh, stand with highlands what does it mean oh, to I, you i lo- i really love highlands i love that album and that was probably uh, having spent the 80s you know not really particularly getting dylan and then when desire really opened me up again uh i think it was shortly after that or around the same point when um that that album came out and that i know everybody says that but that what that did really feel like oh oh this is good this mm-hmm. is really terrific and mm-hmm. i i played that a lot and highlands yeah well if you come from a small country you notice uh, when anyone notices you and in scotland i remember everybody was really like he says where the Aberdeen waters flow, my heart is in the highlands. And, <laughs> oh, my God, does he mean us? You know, he, he likes us. <laughs> he's looking oh, at us. He's looking at us. <laughs> and, um, 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 and, and then it turned out apparently that he did, he had, in fact, bought a house. But the rumor went around, and I've subsequently discovered it's true, that he bought a house um, in the highlands. Uh, and so it is conceivable that he is literally referring to the highlands, although the song itself doesn't really i mean it also refers to uh, robert burns and course, robert yeah. burns yeah. pops up a lot in dylan i think there's a quote somewhere where he says uh, robert burns is his favorite poet or his favorite poem is um my love is like a red red rose mm. which is a a very very beautiful poem so good choice but b again as as a scot you're just like right we've been validated <laughs> our national poet is, has been chosen by bob but the scottishness all through i mean you know all through dylan Hard Rain is taken from a uh, is is from a border ballad pattern. Mm-hmm. I think it's slightly bollocks, but um, apparently Hattie Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll is taken from yeah. a the tune is taken from the the uh, I think it's a song called something like the Retreat of the Fifty First First Division from Sicily by Hamish Henderson. Um, there's controversy about that, but I think the the point being that those tunes those songs are through mm. and the other one from that is on the first album pretty peggio is a song uh, is actually a song called the bonnie lass of fiveio um mm. which would have absolutely been sung in those folk clubs bonnie lass of five is but it's it's a kind of smash down it's a, it's a chinese whispers version that i suspect became an american version over time as it would have been repeated you know in the appalachian matters for, mm. from banjo to banjo or whatever and he, that's why he says at the beginning, I, I've been all around the world, but I ain't never been to Fenerio. <laughs> and Fenerio is, um, but Fenerio doesn't, I mean, of course it doesn't exist because it's Fivio, the Bonnie Lass of Fivio. Mm. So, um, but yeah, so I, I got very, uh, you know, that, that's a big connection for me is the, is Bob, 
is Bob basically Scottish, uh, which, you know, I, I would argue that he well, is. There's another slight Scottish, uh, well, it's actually a big Scottish connection because you're doing the adaptation, or you've done the adaptation of the film Local Hero. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, with Mark Knopfler. Yes, yes. Uh, and, uh, which I'm dying to see, which is, yeah, is coming to London yeah. this summer. But um, did you ever talk to Mark Knopfler about Bob? That's funny. Um, um, no, now I'm thinking, oh, I must do you that. Must no. do the must. thing is, the thing, first of all, Mark's a fantastic example of an artist who just continues to be vulnerable, to continues to make work. Re- I mean, I was really amazed by his songwriting during that process and his, his des- you know, his willingness to just kind of open up. Mm. It was extraordinary. No, the thing with my, I was very shy and I didn't want to ask too many sort of fan questions, but I would find myself doing this thing where I would just sort of occasionally just go, yeah, I'm quite like Johnny Cash. And he would go... <laughs> Yeah, well, um, you know, when I was having playing with Johnny in 1982, <laughs> and he would tell a story, and pretty much every time you threw the ball up, he could head it down with some fantastic story yeah. about, you know, whether it was. Uh, um, but I don't, I don't think I tried Bob Dylan, and and when I knew it was coming on, I thought, can I email him? But I, I always like just to sort of throw it up and just see. I mean, I can't say who they are, but sometimes you sort of say, hi. Have you, do you know, I quite like, um, and you'll name a famous band or artist and he'll go, oh God, I hate that person and tell you some scurrilous story. Yeah. But uh, no, I must do it with Dylan, but I haven't. But I do recommend, that, that of course was quite influenced for me by the um, Girl from the North Country, which which I thought was a beautiful musical. And I mm-hmm. thought Colin McPherson did a gorgeous job of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there was something really beautiful about the... Um, the way that the uh, the tone of it it's as if they found a musical theater tone that was somehow not quite musical theater or mm. at least i mean i love musicals but you know you can't that's never going to work with bob dylan you're never going to be able to do the the sort the of jukebox mm, version. Yeah. yeah but there's a mournfulness which is also in colin mcpherson's version of uncle vania which i saw last week yeah. oh right oh, which I is, is worth a look movie. yeah it's this, this kind of sadness, inherent sadness. Which also, he rediscovered a bunch of songs for me. I mean, there's a whole set of songs that I've heard for the first time in that show mm-hmm. and thought, why did I not see how brilliant that was? And uh, yeah. Tight Connection to My Heart is, mm-hmm. is, is a song that I had absolutely ignored and then suddenly realised was actually great. Although, do watch the video on YouTube. It's oh, yes. awful I know. in a way. The <laughs> video, a good reason you mean? The, the, oh, the video of that. Yeah, the Bob Dylan. Oh, I've seen so, it. Yeah, not, not oh, all, yeah. God, yeah. yeah. No, he's, yeah. God, he's made some extra yeah, there's, yes. there's a good reason Decisions why Tight Connection to My Heart by Bob Dylan has never been heralded before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or yeah. the video. Yeah. 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 I wonder, you know, it, the, the video age was never going to suit him. He, no, he doesn't, no. It, there's, no, there's no need for it, actually. The shiny jackets. Just, when he looks into the camera, you can... You can see him saying, they're making me do this. And I'm going to fuck it up. I think, right. I think videos are ridiculous. I, I, I yeah, think, you know, yeah. that era when you, you really couldn't ingest or digest a song unless you did it via a series of images that they told yeah. you to think about instead of thinking about the content of yeah. the song. Yeah. You know, it's, maybe the, that's the way to get into a, a, a chat with Mark Knopfler. The, um, yeah, I, ask I, him about I, I want my yeah. MTV yeah. and uh, yeah. go on from there. Yeah. yeah. If you had to choose, if you were given the choice of all of Bob's canon and were asked to make a piece of musical theater, uh-huh. I mean, this is just off the top yeah. of my head, yeah. but I mean, yeah. can you think of anything that you definitely would want to put in it? That's a really fascinating thought. I mean, I, I very much admired the fact that Connor did it because the first thing I would think is those songs are so resistant to to direct meaning and how would you how would you therefore find it? But 
recently I was exploring the sort of post-divorce Sarah albums, you know, and um, I think there's there's a couple of tracks in New Morning that are so direct about love and mm. about. I think that's probably the only way in I could find would be to mm. would be to trace to trace those songs where he's he's direct. When in, I mean, you know, that, those nights I was up in the Chelsea Hotel writing "Sad Eyed Ladies of the Lowland" for you, mm. Lady of the Lowland. You know, there might be a way through that because there's some songs mm. that are so direct and so simple. That's the other thing. I was listening to Wallflower the other day because that's another song I like, but I knew it as Doug Sam's version. Mm-hmm. Which Dylan sings on, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Wallflower, yeah. Wallflower, Won't You Dance With Me. And it's like a haiku. It's just so yeah. simple. It couldn't be a simpler song. Mm. It could have been written by a 17-year-old. Mm. And I think there's something in there maybe. So I think I'd probably try and look for the for just the loved ones and maybe try and fashion a, a little sort of love love story out of it um i secretly don't like the scabrous dylan i like him when he's vulnerable when he's talking Mm. about love and that's probably why i like later dylan so much is Mm. that he's that young man who's mean i mean you can see why he's mean people are being complete idiots around him but but i don't you know meanness makes me i I think he would have been mean to me if he'd ever met me at that time whereas the later dylan you sort of feel would have been Curious, I've been know. thinking about this a lot recently because a, a couple of our guests, Andrew Mayle, Barney Hoskins, they said, you know, when they were in their 20s or whatever, and certainly I felt this, watching Don't Look Back, I thought, God, he's cool, isn't he? Yeah. And now in my late 40s, I'm thinking, he's just being a bit mean to yeah, everybody and it's yeah. not really getting anywhere. It's not no, really he's being, he's being very mean. And when you hear him sing, you know, love is all there is, it makes the world go round. Yeah. Again, that that's sort of going back to just how brave he is to be yeah. – you know, naff in a yes, way. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, but it's uh, yeah, true. Yeah. That's what he's found. Yeah. He's sharing that with us, you know, and, yeah. and he doesn't care what people think. Yes. And he yeah. rhymes, rhymes moon in June. And yeah. To yeah. hell with you, you know, yeah. that's what I and, found. And, and I think there's something again in the radio shows that open that up to me, that he's yes. he's a generous spirit. That I mean, the emails, I, I don't know, maybe those were written for him. I don't know. There's mm. a lot of Who people knows? listed on the credits, but mm. somehow you, it, it sounds like him. It feels like him. I loved yesterday. Um, I was listening and he goes, uh, he says, I've got an email here from someone from Tallahassee or whatever it is, and you always know these are made up. There's no way. But he says, why do you never play new songs? And he says, well, we don't have anything against new songs. It's just there's so many more old songs. <laughs> and I think there's something about that um, sense of he's a, he's funny, he's generous, but also he's a, he is himself a, a fan. He's a curious fan. And that's mm. the... That's the one that I make a connection to. Um, and you wonder, I bet if you looked back, you would probably see uh, a scaredness, I guess, in that kid. I mean, imagine what that must have been like to be, to have the entire world, basically, even the, the most famous people in the world thinking that you have the answer. Mm. Oh, yeah. And you, and presumably, I don't even know, you're presumably not trying to, you know. Um, one quick story that... Mm. Um, uh, uh, and Andrew Gregg told me that because uh, I was trying to get these Dylan and Edinburgh connections, and and uh, he said that there's a story when he was sitting in a tea room on Princess Street that overlooked the castle, and he's writing Masters of War mm. um, on on a like a you know napkin sort of thing or in a notebook, and people are chatting around him, and and this is a friend of his who has the memory of him sort of both writing and then being part of the conversation and then going back to writing, and which is an extraordinary thing. 
and that that sense of how how can you write a song like Masters of War without meaning to if you see what I mean it's like how yeah. could, not seeing and going mm, I've got an idea <laughs> you know, well I, I read just the other day some interview I can't remember where, where it was where somebody was quoting an interview back to him and he said well you know I don't even remember saying that because I was writing a song at the time mm. at the time that yeah. I was giving the interview yeah. I was also writing a song and yeah. he said I do that all the time yeah. I'm writing songs in my head right now <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's that, that's, that is extraordinary. The, the, the sort of bifurcated focus. There was, um, talking of musicals and things, I, I was Dennis Kelly, who did Matilda, the musical Matilda, mm, and wrote mm. the book for that. I was also working on a, a, a Roald Dahl musical at that time, and um, I bumped into Dennis when we were both working on these musicals. And I was lamenting that, I, that Dahl is impossible to structure into a proper narrative because um, essentially he was telling these stories to his children night after night so they were episodic they don't really function in the way mm. that, 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 that they do and and uh, D- Dennis Kelly said um, yeah yeah he said um, that's the trouble with Roald Dahl you, you, you realise he's just making it up as he goes along <laughs> and the thing the thing I remember about that is that I was thinking that that is sort of Dylan it's like the maddening thing is that he probably doesn't sit down going, I'm going to write this song and I think it's going to end up here and it's going to finish there. He sort of makes it up as he goes along and yet, obviously, the freedom of that is the... Is the uh, is the glory of well, it? You know? Also, I remember you know that we pore over these these song lyrics, trying to find out what's true and what's not. And Warren Zevon famously said in, in songwriting, "There's no fiction and non-fiction section." No. Um, and I was talking to a friend of mine recently about uh, an artist we both love, uh, Jason Isbell, uh-huh. and he wrote a song called "Elephant," which is about um, an ex-lover dying of cancer, and it's it's really raw. And my friend said to me, he said, "You know, he just made that up." Oh my Lord. And I, it's it's one of those things that when you listen to, you think, well, it has to be true because it's yeah. full of so much uncomfortable detail. Yeah. And I realise this is a, a far healthier way to look at songwriting now. And and mm. and yeah. you know, I don't tend to listen to Dylan and think, oh, I wonder if that really happened. You know, if, yes, yes. Because as you but say, he's just making it up. He's making it up, and also I think that sense of storyteller. And I mean, everybody loves the quote, you know, maybe I'm just a song and dance man. Uh, I was reading something today about he says this was just a minstrel song or something, or he's talking about that. He he he. Uh, the the country music you listen to the kind of country music he loves. These are songs. Um, he listen. He, he likes adverts. Mm-hmm. I think there's that sense, and and the, the Scottish poet called Tom Powell. Uh, I I once was giving a workshop on for people who hadn't written plays on to help them to write plays, and he, this. Tom was on the workshop as a poet and I just couldn't be bothered with that and I was just much more interested in could you tell me how to write poems I don't know how to write poems I'm terrible at writing poems and I said the trouble is Tom every time I sit down I said I you know I just can't get the idea the idea he said no you're going about this completely the wrong way he said don't try and have an idea that's a terrible approach he said just just listen for some words just Mm -hmm. let some words come and and I I'm no poet, but anything I've written since then has been was inspired by that. But I think it's the same of the song. Don't don't have an idea. Yeah. That's the, that's mm. going to be the awful. Way. Just listen to the sound of the words. Let the words follow. And mm. I, I somehow I think that that's the approach. That I mean, certainly that's what I find in the Dylan songs. Is is um, 
is when you stop trying to interpret it, yeah. you know, you, you, it opens up. Yeah, I do, that reminds me of some interview I read with Dylan where uh, they, he, was, he was talking about the song Dark Eyes mm-hmm. and he was saying, I was just going down this hotel corridor. It was like three in the morning. I was going back to my room and I there was this woman who was sort of with this drunk guy and she just, we, I, we looked at each other yeah. and she had such dark eyes. And that's it. That that's was that was where that song began. Apparently, yeah. Well, Pint, I mean, Pinter does the same thing. You know, he he sees somebody out of the corner of his eye in a doorway, and that mm. becomes ultimately becomes a caretaker. But you know, again, when I write a play, I I do think I'm doing something. I have some sort of idea of what my approach is, and I. But one of the strange things about it is I've I've been privileged enough that there's been revivals of some of my work, or I'll sometimes see the work abroad or in a foreign language production, and. It might be five years later or ten years later. And invariably, there's this moment where I go, oh, my God, it's obvious what this is about. Oh, Jesus. And I suddenly realize that I've effectively been naked on the stage for the last five years. I might as well have just written all of my dirty laundry in an absolutely obvious way. But, of course, I had absolutely no idea I was doing that. Mm. And I thought I was writing about, you know, the the calamities of Europe in the, you know, latter part of the 20th century or whatever it was. And it turns out I was actually writing about the early days of my marriage or whatever. But but there's something about that feeling that it is only he, presumably in dark eyes, at some point, that becomes something which is of him and that it cannot not be of him. Mm. But he's not he's not approaching it that way. He's just trying to He's just trying to respond to the to the lyric. Is it Rolling Bob Talking Dylan is recorded in the Erica John Suite at Lip Sync Studios. Engineered by Mark Langley-Smith and produced by Robin Guys. Music is by Sam Hare. We're part of Pantheon Podcasts, the music podcast network. Find us on Twitter at IsItRollingPod. Gypsy Queens will play your grand finale. Way down in some Tularosa Alley. Maybe in the Rio Pecos Valley. Billy, you're so far away from home.